Thank you for listening to our Truth in Life podcast. This season, we will survey the Bible's unfolding story of redemption. From Genesis to Revelation, every book points to Christ and edifies His church. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. So it's we're dealing, I'm dealing, except for Isaiah, my five books are what we would call historical books. Um, and I, I apologize for all of you to, in some respects because you're starting out really not at the ideal place. In terms of history, I'm at the end, and ideally you'd start in Genesis and kind of work your way up. Um, so even though First Chronicles does go all the way back to Adam, it's really fast. It's mostly about David. And so I'll get into that. But So this is a history book. And every historian writes from a, their own perspective, they, even with purpose, right? That's why some, we look back and see, well, that person was writing from their perspective, and then somebody else has another history. You know, everything can't be included. The Apostle John, if you recall, um, he said that Jesus did many other signs that aren't recorded in this book. He said, but these are written that you may believe. And so likewise, uh, the historian of First and Second Chronicles, and by the way, it was originally one book. It was just Chronicles. Um, this has a clear objective of tracing the history of God's chosen people of Israel. His focus is on Judah. First and second kings, where Carter's teaching that class, and he's going to go through um, the kings of Israel, uh, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, whereas Chronicles is focuses on Judah, because that's the line from which the Messiah, the Christ, will come. Uh, the books were written for the Jews. So this was written for the Jews. And I thought it was interesting, a little, uh, the word Jew comes from a contraction of Judas, the Judas. So, and it, and it was a, a phrase that was coined after they came back. The Judas are here, the Jew, and it became the Jews. Um, at least that's what I've read. I thought it was interesting. This does contain a more positive emphasis than the books of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. Um, this is meant to, this, these books were written to encourage the returning exiles. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about, uh, we'll get to that when we talk about the historical background. Um, it does teach some hard lessons, too. Um, so, uh, not long, so I, maybe I should, I, I don't know where everybody is on their Bible history, so I'm going to go ahead and, and I, I get off my notes here and do a, like a quick summary. I made this slide, it's not like um, proportional, right? These are I skipped some books. Um, these are historical books, right? So if we, and I put the patriarchs, well, only Abraham. I didn't put in uh, Jacob and Isaac. But I put some key figures and, and how it relates to what we're talking about in Chronicles. So obviously Genesis starts with Adam and ultimately then, you know, we learned even in small group a couple years ago, we're going to finish Genesis. I'm working on that for next year, I think, I hope. And so we learned about Abraham, right? Uh, first half of Genesis. Then uh, Jacob comes on the scene uh, with his 12 sons, and that's in the middle of the book. And so we go, the history of Israel, I would say, starts, starts with Adam, technically, but really with Abraham, right? So Abraham going forward. 
first and second Samuel, first and second Kings deal with, you know, you, you know the beginning with, with Eli and Hannah and, and her son Samuel's born, the prophet, and, and work, so we work through these historical books. Chronicles actually covers everything, but it goes through this really fast, just really fast. And so then during this period here, in 722, these are really important dates, and I see Debbie Forney's here, and, and it's her, it was her husband that, that got these two dates in my head. You know, these are really important dates in the history of Israel. 722 is when the northern kingdom, so in the, when you're reading uh, Kings and Chronicles, and you hear, read Israel and Judah, oftentimes Israel isn't talking about collectively the Jews, but it's talking about the northern kingdom. Because what happened after, um, after Solomon, the kingdom split. And there became a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And so the northern kingdom um, is called Israel. Their capital is in Samaria. The southern kingdom was called Judah. And their cap capital is in Jerusalem. The northern kingdom had almost no good kings. Pretty much none of those kings were any good. And their kingdom fell sooner. Uh, remember, with BC, a bigger number is, is older, okay? Just to put it in perspective. So 722 is actually before 586, because it's BC. So right around this portion of Second Kings is when the northern kingdom fell. And then Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah, whose capital is Jerusalem, Jerusalem was defeated, and that fell in 586. Chronicles was written to, an, and then what happened was, most of the Jews, especially the prominent ones, the ones with money, were taken into captivity and taken into Babylon for 70 years. That's when you read about things like, people like Daniel, right? Daniel was one of the exiled Jews. And so they were exiled for 70 years. Chronicles was written to encourage the Jews that were coming back before under Zerubbabel, then Ezra, and then Nehemiah. And so uh, Chronicles summarizes, first Chronicle goes all the way from here to here, but it's mostly about David. Second Chronicles goes from here to here, and then prepares for the return. So that's a much longer um, explanation than I expected to give, but what I try to do is to make a, a timeline, instead of putting all those dates and all those numbers and all those kings, I'm trying to keep it simple because it would be a lot to process. And so I'm keeping it simple. I made this to, to, so you can see how the books of the Bible fit, the main ones, the historical ones. Obviously you don't see things like Psalms or Proverbs, those are the uh, po poetry, right? But these are mostly the historical books. You don't see Chronicles here because that's our theme, right? Our Chronicles actually summarizes all of that. Um, and so um, now I have to get back to my notes and find out what I already said that I wasn't planning on saying. So, um, so First Chronicle divides into two periods, um, from Adam to David. So like I said, nine chapters gets all the way from here to here. And then the rest of the book 
is the reign of David over Israel. Then in, what Gary's going to do next week is he's going to do pretty much Saul all the way to the captivity. And he has much more detail than I do and many more people to deal with than I do. And so he's going to have to do some serious editing. I was dinner last night at, um, with uh, Jacob and Abby Hodge and with another couple and somebody mentioned uh, was saying gosh I've just read through the Bible and all those the genealogies and in, in, um, in Chronicles like wow and yeah there's about 25 genealogies in Scripture this is the longest one it's nine chapters and it begins and so I summarize it you'll see it might be in your notes I don't know I made that but I don't remember mine's really long and yours is really short so I have to edit um, come on in um, and if, we'll get more chairs if we need them but there are a few other seats over here um, so I'm not going to spend much time on this in fact when you read it it's like you're happy when you're done it feels like you know like nine another chapter another chapter another chapter of, of names but they are important right um, they're they're very important these ancestral lines show the fulfillment of the covenant promises God is at work preserving a people for himself and the Lord is continually at work rejecting the unfaithful and the disobedient and blessing the faithful and obedient and I I want to highlight this New Testament verse from Paul to say that it's not enough just to be in the ancestral line what really counts is what you do with the the blessings and the grace that God's given you that's what really Paul even said that I think somewhere I can't remember one of his epistles he said what counts is faith expressing itself through love I don't know if anybody can remember what verse that is um, but he does say that somewhere um, and so uh, gene genealogies were important to the Jews because of the promises associated with their specific tribes um, these link the returning exiles, so the people coming back, it links the returning exiles with their forefathers and reassures them that they're still God's people. Um, the earliest prophecy of the Messiah happened way back in Genesis 3.15, uh, which simply promised a savior from the human race. Um, but over time, the specific race and then a particular family from which the Messiah would re emerge were identified. And so I have... Um, just some key key verses and again as you go through these classes throughout this year you're going to be you know matt french will be talking about these and then carter will be talking about this and so you'll get exposed to this and you guys are starting in an odd place you're kind of at the end of the historical line here and then you're going to circle back around um, but i mean maybe this is good prep because you'll it's sort of like when you watch a movie and they show you what happened at the end and then then they go ahead and then show you what happened so you've kind of got that's kind of that sort of thing um, so we're going to talk about uh, king david's reign which is the rest of the book almost almost 30 chapters or 20 chapters about two-thirds of the book the historical account begins with the death and dishonor of saul um, valiant men um, of Jabesh Gilead went and recovered the, the, the bodies of Saul and um, his sons. And God's sovereignty is in plain view. And I'm going to refer to this verse again. This is a real a, a verse that you something, a truth that you don't see in uh, Kings. And it's 
Very, very bold. Look at the last sentence. Wow. And I hope you can all read this. And, and no excuses. As a teacher, I always say, if you can't sit in the back of the room and you can't see the board, then move up because there's plenty of seats there. Now, I can't say there's plenty of seats here, but get here and get to a seat where you can read the board. You need to read this because this is, and sometimes the verses are long like this one, and so the print's smaller. Sometimes, like in that 1 Corinthians verse, I can make the print bigger because it was a short verse. But this, this is, um, really sets up uh, the narrative for the rest of the book. Actually, the rest of the two books. The final verse of the chapter um, uh, is, is very important. But in, interestingly, in First Chronicles, conspicuous are the omissions of David's life history recorded elsewhere. There's no mention of his agonizing years with King Saul, how he was being chased, his seven-year reign over Judah prior to becoming the king over all Israel, his many wives, uh, the, the sin with Bathsheba, the treachery with Uriah, none of that, the rebellion of his sons, none of that is recorded in First Chronicles. Um, and though David is a central character, it's really God's dealings with and through David form the heart of Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles. Um, the pivotal point of this book is God's covenant with David. And again, a really long verse. And I hope, I'm going to actually, I wrote in my note to take your time and make sure everybody can read this. So go ahead and read it. Um, you can read faster than me, so... All the covenant promises of land, blessing, and honor are tied to the coming king. Though Solomon will fulfill a portion of these promises, he will build the physical temple, right? God said, David, sorry, you don't get to do it. David wanted to build a house for God. And God said, nope, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have Solomon do it. And, um, but though Solomon will fulfill a portion of the covenant promise of building a temple, someone greater than Solomon is envisioned. In 1 Chronicles, the central nation is Judah. The central personality is David. The central issue is the covenant with David. And the central objective is the temple. That's what's happening in 1 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles is way more exciting, if you want to call it that, but also much turmoil. It's exciting because we we find turmoil exciting, right? And we watch a movie, we want action adventure, at least I do, I want action, right? And there is a lot of that in Second Chronicles. Uh, First Chronicles provides extensive plans and preparation that David made for the temple, because this is to be the, the permanent structure to replace the tabernacle in the wilderness as a sign of God's physical presence among his people. And so I, I um, not sure if I put all this in the notes, so I made a slide for it uh, to kind of summary. And this is maybe not important to us as we're reading it, but David did, really did the lion's share of the, of the work in preparing for the building of the temple. Um, and I'll talk more about that as we go. Um, but I'm getting through this book as far as the content really fast. Most of it is going to be the second two parts. So, in fact, David even, um, uh, he encouraged everyone to give to the building of the temple. And he himself, he led by example and gave a lot of his own money um, uh, to this project. Uh, the centerpiece of this chapter is David's prayer of 
praise, which happens near the end in chapter 29. And I made two slides, and so it's, it's worth uh, taking the time. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. It's what a great, great prayer. Yours is the kingdom you are exalted head over all. And, and then David's humility, who, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from God. And so it's, in fact, it seems almost odd to say David gave some of his money. Because, first of all, God gave it to him. It was God's money. That's a lesson for us, right? And also, he had that money because of his position, right? It's not like he, he was CEO of a company and they paid him a salary, right? So God gave him that money and he gave it back. So um, in the closing of the book, uh, Solid, Solomon is acknowledged as king. And so that's the transition. So First Chronicles is a summary from like a, through, the, through genealogies from Adam up to David. And then it's really a, a lot about David working to prepare to build God's temple. And so then at the end of the book, and again, originally, remember, this book was a usual, originally one big book, and then somebody split it into two parts, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. And so uh, Solomon is acknowledged king. That's the end. And David, well, the end is really when David dies. And it's a good break. If you were going to break up 1st Chronicles into two books, it was, it was very wisely done where, where it was. So I'm going to spend... Um, most of my time talking about the second two parts. Whereas, um, as I mentioned before, Gary has the, the uh, unenviable privilege of trying to distill the, all the history that's in Second Chronicles. There's so much history, so many kings. There's five, he's going to talk, at, I'm sure, about five good kings. They were, none of them were perfect, of course. Nobody is. But he's going to talk about five kings. That's stuff that I'm not having to talk about uh, today. Um, and that's in addition, by the way, to Solomon and then what happened with uh, our, yes, and his sons and David's sons and the whole bit. Okay. So we're going to talk about Christ and his church. Um, First point, and it's in your notes, the importance of David and the ancestry of the Messiah. Um, this, everything that happened with Christ was prophesied in the Old Testament. We want to make, I want to make it abundantly clear that we're studying this so we can see the connection between the Old and the New Testament. That Jesus, I mean, if Jesus appears in the scene and the Old Testament history never existed, then it wouldn't have been that important. I mean, we, how would we have known who he was, why he was here? But the Old Testament, <laughs> Jesus is, I shouldn't, it's hard to, how do I put this properly? I don't want to say something I'm going to regret later because um, I could say it wrong. But Jesus is the fulfillment of what happened in the Old Testament. That's safe, right? He is the fulfillment of what was prophesied in advance. And so we need the Old Testament so we can kind of cooperate and say, and it's partly why my faith is strong in Christ, because I've, he is the um, fulfillment of what I see in the Old Testament, which was written before he was born, right? Before as, he, he, as fully man, right? 
So that's part of why my strength, faith is strengthened because of the historical evidence in, in his favor. Um, so you've had time to look at this. I had a verse in Isaiah that I was going to use, but I'm going to save that for when I teach on Isaiah at the very end, lesson number six. So um, uh, the Messiah was prophesied through David's line in announcing the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. The angel specifically referred to his earthly father as Joseph, son of David. Some people have said that Matthew was written for, for the Jews from a Jewish perspective. And so if that's true, his Jewish readers needed to know that Jesus was in the correct line in order to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy. Am I making sense? I know I'm going fast. In fact, I'm going so fast, I may have time left over. I don't know um, because I'm, I'm nervous about getting everything done. So we'll see how this goes. The people, even the people of Israel, understood the anointed one's connection with David. Later, when Jesus began his ministry of preaching and healing the sick, um, people would say, son of, son of David, have mercy on us. They understood the connection with David. As his ministry uh, progressed, people asked a question in Matthew 12. Uh, people said, could this be the son of David? Even a Gentile woman addressed him with a cry, a Gentile, no less, said, O Lord, son of David. So they, they saw the connection. They knew that it had to be from the line of David. And Jesus' triumphal entry illustrates the height of the Jewish hope in a Messiah from the line of David. Scripture says the whole city was in an uproar when Jesus entered Jerusalem. And what were people saying? Hosanna, right? Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Israel. Um, in the name of the Lord, rather, sorry. Um, but, as a second point, Jesus is greater than David. A few days before um, the, his death, the Lord Jesus posed a question to a group of Pharisees about the lineage of the Messiah. And I have two slides here. And he says, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And of course they said, the son of David. It's what people have been calling him. But then David, or Jesus um, says, well then, how does David in the Spirit call him Lord? Jesus at this time is trying to put in people's minds that yes, he is the son of David from a genealogical standpoint, but he is greater than David without coming out and saying it. And so he gives this argument. He says, if David calls him Lord, how is he their, his son? So he's not, uh, when people think of a son of David, they use that expression as in the line of David, as the promised Messiah who was supposed to. But they, remember, even the, his own disciples didn't understand that Jesus was God. Right? They didn't understand that they knew he was a great teacher. They knew he was, he was special. I mean, he healed the sick and raised people from the dead. And John didn't even put everything in there. You know, it's interesting, John only put in seven signs. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke had like 20-some. But, like I said in the beginning, but these are written. These are special. Um, so Jesus challenges them. And, and, and I, the point is that Jesus is greater than David. He's not a mere mortal. He intended to provoke thought. 
He leads them from the known to the unknown. Um, and admittedly, it's a little bit cryptic, right? And Jesus even told the disciples, you're gonna know, you're gonna know more when the Holy Spirit comes, right? They didn't fully understand. Um, so, um, though the, the Messiah will descend from David, he'll be greater than David. David's words in Psalm 110 indicate his insight into the person of the Messiah. And this is um, the verse that, that Jesus was re referring to, the psalm that Jesus was referring to. Psalms is quoted more than any other, any other Old Testament book. But after that's Isaiah, and I get to say that in about six weeks. So... Um, Acknowledging of the supremacy of Christ, even Peter quotes the same psalm in his sermon at Pentecost. And so this is a lot of small print. Um, it's important. And how we're connecting the Old Testament to the New Testament. How Peter in his preaching, uh, Paul as well. Um, if you can read it, I, I don't know. Is it hard for people to read? No? Oh, beautiful. So glad. Love this big screen. So I, I hope that you can read that. And the same truth was, was echoed by Paul. Um, in fact, that's how he starts off the book of Romans. Um, he says, uh, and I don't have a slide for this because I think I'd have time for it, and I'm looking at the clock and thinking I might have time. So... He says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David, according to the flesh. And he continues. But that's, that's kind of the, the highlight there. Um, and so now I'm, I'm really impressed that I have 18 minutes left, so this is terrific. I have an application. I was really going fast. And I apologize. I'm looking to find out how much I have left. I still have a fair amount. Okay. All right. I better not, uh, better not get too cocky. <laughs> All right. So we have a lot of points of application. Some, some are, that's where Isaiah is so hard. On this section of Christ in the church, I have 13 points. I had to narrow it down, you know, so I don't know what to do there. So we'll see. Isaiah's going to be, gonna, I'm going to be talking really fast, like one of those commercials where they give the terms at the end. Um, okay. Um, so first one's obedience. Several times of God judging disobedience stand out in First Chronicles. Saul, King Saul's disobedience is really striking, right? Um, you know, in 1 Samuel 31, it's simply recorded that King Saul met his death in battle with the Philistines. He dies. That's it. No commentary. And then we get this verse that I showed you before. And that's like, whoa. It just says straight up, he killed him and turned the kingdom to David, the son of Jesse. God used the Philistines to carry out Jehovah's justice. For King Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord. And in multiple times, it wasn't like just one little discretion. A powerful lesson on obedience is presented in the account of the return of the Ark of the Covenant and its eventual transportation to, Judah, to Jerusalem. It's a hard story. Very hard story when you first read about it. I, I mean, Uzzah reaches out, the, the oxen stumbles, the cart's about to fall, 
and Uzzah reaches out to study the ark, and the Lord strikes him dead. And I mean, it, it crushed David. I mean, because he's the one that wanted to do this. And, it, and it's the, the account in First Chronicles is much longer than the one in Second Samuel. Second Samuel is part of a chapter. Here it's, uh, you know, part of 13, all the way 15 through 16. It's a big chunk. And here an explanation is given to why the Lord um, struck down Uzzah and how David admitted his Israel's serious error in not consulting the Lord about the proper order. That was the problem. It was David was, was devastated. It was his sin. He was, he was gung-ho. He wanted to get this done. And he didn't call on the Lord first. He didn't find out, how should I do this properly? That's why when you read about when he does it the next time, he pulls out all the stops. Um, it's evident from these incidents that obedience is important. Yeah, we think that it's unfair. I mean, I do. What do you mean? Uzzah had a good intention. I mean, the, the ark might have fallen. Why, why wouldn't he reach out and grab it? That's a hard lesson, don't you think? But it's not according to what we think is right. It's according to what God thinks is right. Doesn't Proverbs say, I think twice, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the way, the end is death? And we, we use, we, we have a word for that, don't we? Rationalizing, rationalization, right? We rationalize our, our shortcomings, and we don't want to call them sin. We just want to call them, oh, we missed the mark. It's a shortcoming. But it's all sin. Obedience matters. Obedience is a crucial aspect in the life of the faith. The Apostle John says, By this we know we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh, the second is prayer. Two fine examples of powerful prayer are presented in the early gene genealogies, which may be easily overlooked. And uh, Jabez is an example of a boldly, uh, uh, of an example of someone boldly going to God in prayer. And we probably wouldn't know about it if it wasn't for that really famous book that Bruce Wilkinson wrote that sold like 9 million copies. Um, but um, so we, our generation knows about it. And he prays simply, oh, that you would bless me, right? And God granted him, it says in the end of this passage, what he requested. He pleaded with the Lord and God answered his prayer. The second example of prayer, and this is even more obscure, is uh, given in the events surrounding a large group of unnamed warriors from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. And so they're in a tough situation. And so what did they do? They cried out to God in the battle, and he answered their prayers. Uh, these are examples that, that um, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, as it says uh, in James, right? I use the uh, King James because that's how I first heard it, right? Um, we pray because we believe God can help us. Um, I'm going to mention this uh, man, this young, he was a young man. He probably, he said this sometime in his 20s, but I thought it was just a really a profound quote. I love quotes. So, um, and this one is really fantastic. Learn that urgency in prayer does not so much consist in vehement pleading as in vehement believing. 
powerful stuff. So, uh, no slide. I mean, you know that you've probably heard, if you've heard anything about Jeremiah, he says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord. Right, whose trust is the Lord. So prayer, prayer is a vital lesson here in First Chronicles. Uh, the third one is service. Uh, details are given about the Levites and their appointment to every kind of service in the, in the, uh, of the tabernacle um, in the house of God. And quick little verse here about that. They seemed, when you read Chronicles, they were enthusiastic about their duties and responsibilities. Um, later, some of the priests are described as able men uh, for the work of the service of the house of God. There is also an emphasis on the considerable variety of their different gifts of the people employed in God's service. The Apostle Paul reminds the Christians at Corinth that there's great variation in the spiritual gifts. And I'm grateful, I'm a teacher by trade, and I'm grateful that I get to, that I get to teach here at Christ the Word. But we have other people that have different gifts. I'm thinking of my, you know, uh, I see Tim here with his, uh, he has the training in landscaping. And so he helps with that. And our friend Dave Myers is an electrician. Him and Marty are electricians by trade. They get to use their gift to, to help the church. And I pray that all of you, encourage all of you, whatever your gift is, it doesn't have to be a, a, um, a by definition, a spiritual gift, right? You could say that my a gift of teaching is somewhat of a spiritual gift, but I teach math. I'm just taking that, thing that I do as a math teacher and my knowledge of scripture and then applying it there. But in a sense, it's not a spiritual gift. I'm just a teacher. I happen to love the word of God. I've studied it. I'm older. So I know stuff. You know, I sent under great teachers like Bob. And so I like to take any excuse I can to talk about Bob. All right. So um, great variation in gifts. And our church depends on people being used. All right? People serving, right? It's, um, Paul says in Ephesians, only when every part does its share that the result is the growth of the body for the edifying itself in love. So it's, our, it's not just our duty, and we should, we should love it. We should be enthusiastic like the priest, right? I mean, true love, I say this all the time, you know, I... I love my wife, like fiercely, and I'm, I love pleasing her. It's, it's, my, it's a joy to do something kind for her. I don't do it because I'm supposed to. I, I love doing it. So if you love God, shouldn't your service be, be with joy? And shouldn't it be a, it's a, it's not only a blessing to the people you serve, but it's a blessing to you. And I think that's something we have to remember. I mean, it's a blessing for me to teach and just think. I always tell people, people say, oh, that's a great sermon or that was a great lesson. I, I got to learn more than you. Because I'm the one studying, right? So look at the blessing it is for me. So I encourage you, uh, service is, is vital. Next point is leadership. Um, and so in First Chronicles, we see, and second, really, we see the effects of poor leadership when we look through the kings of Judah. And we see the effects of good leadership. And so I could talk about this, or Gary could talk about this next week if he wanted to, but there's so much. And we're trying really hard to, to not duplicate all the applications. So some will have more, some will have less. But leadership's the fourth point here. And Israel thrived 
because David was a great leader. He, he probably was the greatest leader that Israel has ever had. It's hard to say. I mean, obviously, Abraham was a great leader. Moses was a great leader. Scripture says he was the most humble man who ever lived. So, I don't know, it's hard to compete with that. So I don't know, it's hard to say, oh, he was a better leader. But let's say, face it, Abraham was a man. The dude was a leader. Moses was a leader. Even if he didn't, wasn't confident about his speaking ability, he was, he was a dude, right? But David, man, that guy was a dude. He was a leader, absolutely. It's the, um, in the mighty men surrounding David, there's clear evidence of David's ability to train and inspire others. When, when uh, Saul was tr chasing him and people abandoned him, remember how he assembled, if some of you might remember the story, he, he basically got uh, uh, what we call a motley crew, right? <laughs> um, he got some dudes that were misfits, men in distress, men in debt, men who were discontented, who were upset, and he became captain over them. And he turned them into a, a disciplined, highly competent uh, fighting unit. Eventually, David's army was composed of men who could even use, uh, it says in Chronicles, use both the right hand and the left hand. If you play basketball, you know that people that can, that can dribble with the right or the left can do layups in the right or the left. You know, that's a, a good skill to have. You can't be great without it. Um, so they, David was, was good at um, uh, helping uh, form good attitudes, but also training them. And he did it from example. Uh, and in fact, it says these were also men who could handle the shield and the spear. So they were good offense and defense. Um, but of all the mightier, mighty men in Israel, um, there was one mightier, and that was David. Um, he won their loyalty. It was kind of like if you've seen the movie Braveheart. It's hard not to admire the lead character because unlike some generals who maybe stood on the hill and watched their men fight and watched from afar, this dude was right in front. And that's how David was. David didn't shy away from the battle. And, and the men respected that, absolutely. So the church must be committed to train future leaders. And, and certainly here at Christ's Word, we're... We're concerned about that. That's why we have the pastor's college, right? We're, we're trying to train future leaders. Uh, Paul not only trained Timothy to be a pastor, but encouraged him to train others as well. Um, and so he's saying, look, Timothy, I'm training you, but I want to make sure that you train others. And too often in the history of the church, we've seen some really great pastors. You know, I think of um, uh, Spurgeon was a great pastor and he had his own he in fact they called it the pastor's college and then interesting the pastor's college and he trained a lot of ministers a lot of ministers who went out but it uh, unfortunately um, it was hard to duplicate himself and so his parkside dwindled over time martin lloyd jones was a great preacher in england but he didn't do a good job of of training up uh successors and we see that a lot in the church it's really, and, and so we see what's happening now here at Christ the Word. You know, could David, uh, Pastor David, uh, still preach some more? Sure he could. And he's a better, he's, a, he's right now, he's a better preacher than his son. No question about it. I mean, he's got 30 more years experience. He better be better, 
right? So let's not be surprised. But it's important, and now it's wise, I think, that David's passing on before he's on his deathbed, you know, and then we're scrambling, right? So there's, there, there's a reason and behind everything that's happening, and I think it's, the pattern is biblical. Um, so being responsible for the training of new leaders, um, such uh, should, you, should be accompanied by a worthy example. And our worthy example is Christ. Even, well, even Paul said, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Um, so I'm, I went really fast. I know that. I have four minutes left. I'm really amazed. Um, but that's okay. And um, um, let's pray. Thank you for listening to Truth in Life. If you enjoyed the series, please subscribe. And remember, from Genesis to Revelation, every book is truth to live by.